copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We are going to wrap up Mark chapter 1 this, this morning. Looking at the fact that Jesus Christ came for the purpose of healing the soul, not just healing the body. You know, good, good sometimes becomes the enemy of the best. Close enough always misses the mark. I mean, if you're trying to shoot for the bullseye with an arrow and you say, oh, that's close enough, you probably didn't hit the bullseye. Sacrificing the best for mediocrity is usually something we're all kind of comfortable with. And that kind of describes today's passage in light of what the people are thinking in this passage. Healings and exorcisms that are going on when Christ starts his ministry, they're good. They're definitely good. But they missed the real reason why he came. The real reason why Jesus Christ came and started his ministry. So we're in the book of Mark. Mark wrote this. He wrote this to call believers specifically believers in Rome during the Nero persecution in A.D. 64, 65, he wrote this to encourage them to follow Jesus Christ no matter what, no matter what they faced. And he wrote this kind of simple narration. This is a very abridged version. A lot of these stories have much more text in them in Matthew and Luke. But Mark's trying to get at the humanity of Jesus as well as the deity of Christ, and he's doing it in a way that even a child can understand what's going on. So it's kind of like, I wouldn't call it the child's gospel, but it's very simple for us, that Jesus Christ came for the forgiveness of our sins. So today's stories are going to tell how that very simple message that Christ came to give can get lost in the myriad of miracles that he's doing amongst them. Because Christ came for the healing of the soul, ultimately. Physical healing does not equal salvation. Unfortunately, some people believe that when they read the Gospels, but it doesn't mean they were saved. Some were, some I believe were not. Let me read this passage to you, and then we'll talk about it some more. Starting with verse 29 of Mark chapter 1. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up went out and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they had found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. 
be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in the deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you for all the miracles you did, the healings and the, and the exorcisms, but I thank you most because you came to heal our soul. May we see that, may that infiltrate our hearts and our minds this morning and we go out and communicate that news to the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So fame has come to Jesus Christ in the little town of Capernaum. Now, I went there in Israel, when we were in Israel, and I saw the synagogue, the site where the 4th century synagogue was, which is on top of all the synagogues that had ever been built there. And literally across the street is Simon and Andrew's house. They've uncovered it and uncovered some references that make it clear that that was Simon and Andrew's house. But the funny thing is, is that all this fame he got from that exorcism he performed in the synagogue on, on the Sabbath morning and that service... He's now overrun by physical healings and exorcism. People requesting that he heal somebody instead of healing their soul. And so I want us to see this morning the irony that's in, in Christ's desire to preach instead of healing and casting out demons. I mean, that's a pretty good gift to have, healing and casting out demons. But he, uh, he wants to do something else. He wants to change their souls. And so Jesus never loses his perspective on what he's here for. So why does Jesus prefer preaching over healing? Well, we're going to find that out. And what lies behind all the healing and exorcism that's going on there? Well, I want us to tell you this morning that from this passage, you're going to gain three perspectives from the people, from the Father, and from Jesus. People clamor for the temporal. People always wanting the temporary fix. Look at verses 29 through 34. Let me read them again to you. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, which is very bad back then. Fevers today don't bother us too much. And they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, raised her up. The fever left her and she began to serve them. When evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So the people are always clamoring for the temporary fix. You know, after his synagogue exorcism, what a great debut, by the way, you know, Jesus shows up on the scene, and he preaches and teaches a little bit, and then this demon-possessed person comes and interrupts the service, and Jesus casts the demon out. They now retire to Simon and Andrew's home, like I said, pretty much across the street, and Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever, and like I said, that's bad. Back nowadays, we just take an aspirin or a Tylenol or something, we get rid of fevers pretty quick, but when a person's in bed with a fever, and even today probably, it's pretty bad, and to them it was really bad, so what do they do? They tell Jesus. They, that's the simplest prayer you can do right there. Pray. Tell Jesus, hey, my mother-in-law is not feeling well. She's sick. She's got a fever. So they tell her. He responds with healing. She responds with service. 
Now, I want to tell you something. There's a, there's a group out there in the world right now that want to use this verse to talk about Jesus being chauvinistic. The only reason he healed her was so she could, he could get a hot meal. That's what some people think. Some people think that Jesus just healed her so he could get waited on. And you and I both know better, better than that. He did not heal her just to get a hot meal. He healed her because they asked and he willed it to, to be. And she served them because that's what her heart told her to do. She served someone who healed her. She was showing gratitude. So I just want you to know that that's out there. You may run across that when you're talking to some lost people. They really like to use that verse to uh, make Jesus look chauvinistic. But, so then it says, after sunset. Why is that key? Because it's when the Sabbath is over. The Sabbath in the Jewish religion runs from Friday night at sunset to Saturday night at sunset. So once sunset was over, they could travel. They could carry burdens. They could carry loads. They could carry things. There was a guy in the Old Testament who got stoned for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. So it's taken pretty seriously. But the Saturday night crowd rolls in after sunset. They roll into the house for healing and exorcism. They're really wanting their temporary ailments, their temporary infirmities. They want a remedy for those. That's what they're doing. But they really miss the real sickness they have, which is their sin. They really don't see that. I mean, they're following the ceremonial Sabbath laws of not carrying a burden and not traveling more than three-fifths of a mile on the Sabbath, which is about 3,000 feet. So they couldn't walk any further or travel any further than that. They're obeying that. But they didn't see that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath in that, in his healings. The crowds did not see or understand the kingdom of God, which is the whole reason Jesus came, to proclaim that the kingdom of God, like we said a minute ago, is near. Because the time is fulfilled. They didn't understand that Jesus is there to preach the good news. And you know, Jesus the man probably did not expect all these crowds to roll in. I mean, everyone was at the door. That's kind of a hyperbole. It's a little bit of exaggeration. Obviously not the whole town of Capernaum was at the door of Peter and Andrew's house. But he didn't expect that flood of humanity that night. But as the son of God, he knew their focus was not eternal. It was temporal. You know, when we talk to a, a, a stockbroker or any kind of investment advisor, they usually encourage you to invest for the long game. Invest for the long haul. Look at the future, not what you can get rich quick with. Because usually getting rich quick usually gets you poor quick too. I bought, I bought some stock one time, just the guy who suggested it. Wow, it was supposed to go up a whole bunch. It never went up. It was nothing. I, I got taken. So, you know, it just happens. When you think you're going to get something quick, well, <clears throat> that's what these people think. They think that getting their, their ailments healed or even the demons exercised from them, they're getting something great, but they're really getting a short-term fix because all the people that Jesus healed still died. They still are going to face God for their judgment. All those who've had demons cast out of them, if they did not turn to Christ in faith for the forgiveness of their sin, they're still going to face God at judgment. Jesus desires us to seek him for an eternal kingdom, not just temporary relief. Matter of fact, Jesus tells them that in John chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, after he fed the 5,000 and then they crossed the Sea of Galilee and this crowd walks around the Sea of Galilee to catch up with Jesus, Jesus says, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, but not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. I gave you a free lunch. 
He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man, the Son of God, will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. You can take in that word food in that passage, and you can put in there anything other than Jesus. Don't work for just food. Don't work for just wealth. Don't work for just security. Whatever you want to throw in there. Work for Jesus. Look for Jesus that lasts forever. You know, we always want immediate relief to our discomfort. And the more comfortable we are, the less discomfort we can take. I mean, the air conditioning go out today, I think a lot of you would not be here. <laughs> a lot of you would be like, it's too hot to go in the, and sit in the church building. I mean, we're just used to comfort. But I want you to understand something about trials and troubles those things are meant to stretch us. They're meant to challenge our faith. Not necessarily air conditioning, but they're meant to challenge us in terms of what God wants to do for us. A lot of times we want them to be over in a hurry. But usually when that happens, we miss the lesson God wants to teach us. It takes longer sometimes for us to learn. It's okay to ask for help and healing. God wants you to do that too. We're going to talk about prayer in a minute. He definitely wants you to come to him. But when we ask and we don't get, we sometimes get impatient and stop asking. But God's tests, God's trials and tribulations that he puts in our life are meant to grow our faith. Strengthen our resolve to trust him, no matter what. Because God wants believers to keep their eyes on eternity, not this world. Usually quick relief leads to weak faith. A quick fix is not the best fix always. But that's what these people were looking for, and that's what we tend to look for sometimes. We always want the, the solution to come quickly. But let me tell you what Jesus and God are thinking for you. They want you to, to think perseverance is the long game. Being able to stay the course in Jesus Christ to the very end is the faith that saves. The faith to heal is not the faith that saves. It's the faith in Jesus for forgiveness that saves. So we need to get our eyes off the temporary sometimes and, and stop worrying about it and just fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We've got to get our eyes on eternity, not always what's right in front of us. So Jesus is seeing that, and that's what the people want. Next, the God, God the Father speaks to Jesus and to us about the eternal. Look at verses 35 through 38. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. That's a sermon in itself. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. It's Sunday morning. Jesus gets up before the sun comes up. Very early. I mean, they, the, the Greek word really is emphasizing how early that is. I mean, we, they didn't carry wristwatch, so you can't say it's 3 o'clock in the morning, but I'm sure it was pretty early. Long before the sun came up, Jesus got up in the dark and he went out to a deserted place now he didn't go to the desert or wilderness he didn't go very far away he just went someplace where he knew he would not be interrupted as the day broke and he spent time in seclusion with his father 
God Almighty. And from this time of communion with God, which was daily, I believe, and deliberate by Jesus at all times when he was here, he regains spiritual strength to do the mission. Remember, Jesus is a man too, okay? So getting up early was probably no easier necessarily than it was for us, especially after the night he had of all the people rolling in wanting healings and exorcisms. I mean, that probably was a long night if the whole town came, or almost the whole town even. Jesus needed this time often. And you'll find it in other places in the Gospels. He needed it to refresh his heart and his spirit because he gets perspective from Jehovah God. And that's what we should be doing, spending time in prayer to do that. But there are interruptions. Here comes Simon and his buddies. Uh, so even though when Jesus was interrupted by the clamor of the people again, the disciples and their distraction with popularity. These four guys grew up in Capernaum, and now they're famous. This teacher is in their house, healing and exercising, and it's just good stuff. And they're like, whoo, we're popular. Everybody's looking for you. Actually, everybody's knocking on their door going, where did he go? Where is he? And they're like, oh, they're feeling like they've been let down a little bit. But Jesus remained resolute. When they came tempting him with popularity. Because see, Jesus didn't come to seek out fame or a fan club, okay? These hometown boys wanted something but, of that. But matter of fact, they wanted it so bad. The word in here for, for, for finding him is like hunting, tracking. They were searching for him desperately uh, like you would hunt down an animal. They tracked him to his quiet spot. They enticed him with more popularity and Jesus completely disregards it because his perspective is on eternity. See, popularity is always fickle. Popularity is always fickle and it's always temporal. Just, just ask Pilate as he's making, trying to make popularity points when he, he sentences Jesus to death. Jesus reminds them why he came. Here's what his answer was. He says, I came to preach. To preach the good news. Remember he said that in last week's sermon, in last week's passage. He said that. I came to preach, to tell the world the good news of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That God has sent someone for the forgiveness of your sins. See, God's mission for Jesus was always for eternal life for people. God's mission for Jesus was not go down there and heal a bunch of people and make them all happy with you for a short period of time and then that's all you do. No, it's always been eternal. From eternity past, it was always eternal. He wants Jesus here because he wants to save souls. He wants to forgive souls in Christ. And Jesus must tell them in preaching. Uh, this is probably the worst way in, in academic world to learn anything, is me standing here lecturing to you for an hour. Well, I'm not going to do an hour. Don't panic. But that's the worst way to learn anything in terms of the academic world. But this is the, what Jesus has commissioned. This is what God has commissioned for it to be. Go and preach. It may not be behind a, a, a pulpit piece of furniture. It may be on the street. It may be out in the bush. It may be a lot of places. It's not the location. It's the message that makes the difference. And that's what Jesus was commissioned to do. He's got to go tell the crowds. He can't just let it be word of mouth. He can't let the demons tell them what Jesus, who Jesus is because that's not the whole story. And they're always obviously going to misrepresent Jesus. But there were other places that needed to hear the gospel. So Jesus says, let's go. Let's leave this 
town of popularity, this comfortable setting, and go. I mean, I, th- I think of missionaries when I read this whole thing. It's like they, left, they leave their comfort zones. Trust me, missionaries leave their comfort zones. No matter where they go, whether they go to Europe or whether they go to the deepest, darkest Africa, they're leaving a comfort zone, learning a new language and taking the gospel to the world like Jesus did here. I want you to hear something. See, the Son of God, as a man, never considered himself strong enough, wise enough, or spiritual enough to live in this world without private prayer. And without private prayer, he would have never gone to the other villages. He would have have never thought that clearly. The Son of God never considered himself strong enough, wise enough, spiritual enough to live in this world without private prayer. In Christ's time alone with God, he regains God's eternal message for the world. So preach the word. That's what he told him to do. There's an Anglican pastor named John Stott, and he's passed away since it was an Anglican pastor, but he uh, preached at a church in, in England for years and years. But one of the things that this man did, as you read his biography, you find out, he had every, every month what he called a Q day. Q standing for quiet, but he called it a Q day. Put it on his calendar. He got away from his, his church, his home, even went out into the country and stayed somewhere for the whole day. He used it to, to pray, to read, to, to meditate, to mull over issues that he could not think through because of the normal day's grind. He went and did this. It was a, it was a common thing every month. It's something that maybe we sh- should, I try to do, it's something we should try to do probably to give God some focused time. I know a day sounds like a long time, but, but remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. How will God reward us for finding quiet times of prayer with him? By granting us the eternal and proper perspective of life. That's what we get from prayer. If you go to God for the temporary, you're probably short-sighted. There's nothing wrong with that, but think about the eternal impact as well. I'm going to share something personal here that I want you to know. It's not a brag. It's God's grace. But when I got saved in college in 1982, everybody was telling me that I was hanging around with Christians. was like, you need to have a quiet time. You need to have a quiet time. You need to have a quiet time. What's that? Big question mark in my mind. What's a quiet time? Well, it's a time alone with God. Reading your Bible, praying, listening to what God could be saying through the scriptures that you've read. And I know that mine over the years, I did start that. It was very rough and rudimentary at first. But it's evolved over 39 years, I think it was, is. But I'm going to tell you, when I had children... I stepped up my quiet time because there's no way to be a dad without talking to God, the Father. I prayed each day for a a particular topic. One day would be family, one day would be friends, one day would be missions, one day would be my church, one day would be friendships or relationships, one day would be missions. Just rotating through those those topics on a weekly basis. Um, I used a tab notebook to kind of keep track of it. There's 
there's apps out there for those of you who do smartphones. There's apps out there that I use now to help you pray. But finding time or days to spend alone with God requires planning and intentionality. Okay, you can't just wing this. You got to set it in your mind as like the first appointment of the day or the last appointment of the day. Jesus did it very early in the morning. I think there's some implication to that, but I know some of you aren't morning people, so it may, may require a little modification of your schedule. But it may require getting up earlier than you're used to getting up, which means you can't go to bed as late as you used to go to bed. You got to adjust the schedule. If you need eight hours of sleep, make sure you go to bed early enough to get eight hours and to get up and spend a good 30 minutes with your Lord. But I want to tell you this. God rewarded me immensely. Not in money or wealth, but my children are born-again believers. They're healthy, and they're serving Jesus Christ in their places of, of uh, living. They found mates who love Jesus Christ as much as they do. And they're raising God's children and my grandchildren. They're raising children God's way. Now, like I said, this is not a brag. This is the evidence that God keeps his word. If we diligently seek prayer with God Almighty, it's grace. It's not magic. But I am blessed and I am rewarded. And when I saw this passage 39 years ago after I got saved, I decided that if Jesus needed a quiet time, I definitely needed a quiet time. I needed to have time alone with God. So make it a priority. Find time each day with God. Find a way to spend time with God. Maybe find a way once a month, once a quarter to spend several hours with God. Or maybe even a day if you could, you're gutsy enough to try that. It takes deliberate planning and some intestinal fortitude as well. But it will change your perspective on life. I trust me. Like on August 5th when we have our day of prayer and fasting is a great day to to do just that, to start a lifetime habit of a daily time of prayer once a month or once a quarter where you spend a lot of the time in prayer. Fasting is a good thing. It's a good discipline. I know some people's health can't allow that, but you can give up something maybe just to help you focus continually on God. Don't focus on what you're not doing. That's what I had trouble with when I first started fasting is I focused on what I wasn't getting, lunch. <laughs> I was like, I'm not getting lunch. And he's like, you're supposed to be getting me. Oh, yeah, that's right. So focus on God, and it'll get you through if you take out, skip one meal. You don't have to skip all three. But Jesus got a fresh perspective when he spent time alone with God, and then it invigorated him to continue the ministry. And it can for you, too. So God's eternal perspective was, was given to Jesus. God spoke to him about that. And now Jesus is moving out to other places. Point number three, Jesus seeks the hearts. He seeks the hearts. Look at verse 39 through 45. He went into all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Then he, Jesus, sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. 
Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news. And the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, and the result was Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but he was out in the desert, deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. So he starts his ministry across Galilee. Galilee was a region of the Roman Empire up in the northern part of Palestine, around the Sea of Galilee. Well, actually, it was on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It was about 20 miles wide and 30 miles long. It was not a very big area, really. But when you're walking, it's a pretty, pretty good area. And he began healing. He began exercising demons. And he was preaching. He was preaching, too. So he was doing what God sent him to do. He was still getting the preaching in at the synagogues and in the towns. And then they met a man with leprosy. Now, we know leprosy today is Hansen's disease, which is very debilitating uh, to the point of pieces of your body falling off because of it. It's very terrible. Back in biblical days, leprosy was a term used to describe anything from a dry spot on your, on your skin to psoriasis to any kind of blemish on your skin. So they use that term very seriously. But when a man is declared leprous, he more than likely has the serious disease that may be called Hansen's disease now. He has the, and it's very serious. And so they, they're required to wear unclean clothes. They don't, have, they don't get to wear nice clothes. It has to be torn. It has to look ratty. They, they, they have to cover their mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. Anytime they're moving through the public crowd, they can't comb their hair. They can't cover their hair. It's, it's terrible. It, it's, it's obvious when people have leprosy in this thing. If you want to read more about what goes on, Leviticus 13 and 14 is, covers the whole sad state of this fleshy disease. It's a very sad state to be in. And there were spots in town, outside towns, where they could collect and, as a group of lepers and, and stay there. But you know what? It's just, it's just a result of the sin-fallen world we live in. You know, like the question the disciples asked, who sinned? Well, it's nothing about that. It's the fact that we live in a sin-fallen world. But they couldn't be around crowds. And if they got out in public and they didn't follow the rules, they could be killed. They could be stoned. So it was sad. Terrible existence. But this guy, he, he's had enough. He approaches Jesus. And, and, and I'm sure the, the disciples or the four guys that are with him at this point back up. Like, oh my gosh, go away. You're not supposed to be around us. So he approaches Jesus. He kneels down. And he requests healing, if you are willing. He saw in Jesus a healer. He saw what Jesus was doing with everybody else. He was healing their diseases, getting demons out of their life. So what he saw was a healer. He did not see a savior, I don't believe. I'll tell you why in a minute. See, Jesus is now moved with compassion. Some of your versions may even say indignation. There seems to be a Greek discrepancy in, this man, in the manuscripts of whether it was indignation or compassion. Um, very early manuscripts, one has one word, one has another. It's just, it's kind of a difference in uh, the manuscripts. Don't know why. Wish I did. Maybe because it's hard for people to understand why Jesus would be mad. But let me tell you why Jesus would be mad. If he's mad, he was angry at the fact that the effects of this sin-fallen world it had on that man. He was mad about that, frustrated. The ill effects of sin have decayed the whole planet. 
So he could have been mad about that. But if, he was, if it's really the word compassion, if he was really moved to be compassionate to him, it's the same reason. Because of this sin-fallen world, Jesus reached out and healed him. And that's how we know it doesn't matter what word it is. Jesus still reached out and healed him. He healed him because he was willing. He healed him because he had compassion on what the sin-fallen world had done to him. He healed him because he wanted to. You know, in touching a, a leper... Touching a leper is taboo back then. I mean, it's like, for a lot of reasons. One, in the Judaism religion, you would get unclean. You couldn't go to the temple until you did certain things if you touched a leper. The other is just contracting the disease. It was very contagious, highly contagious, and if you, which is why they had to leave their families to get away from people, because it was highly contagious. But touching him was probably something this man hadn't experienced for years. And Jesus didn't hesitate. Reached out and touched him and healed him. And immediately the leprosy left. It wasn't a slow healing. It wasn't, it wasn't something they had to wonder if it happened. It happened right there. Everybody's witnessing it. And then Jesus says something really odd. I have always thought it was odd when I first started reading this. But it, it makes sense, you know, as you study it and you think about it. He, he sternly warned him, okay? He, he almost was to the point of rebuking this man. He said, go away from me basically get and go to the priests and show yourself he sent him on an obedience mission jesus is testing his soul right there to see what he really believes what he really thinks is truth what he who he really thinks jesus is jesus wanted him to uphold the law of god because that law that he tells him to go fulfill is not just the law of moses it's the law of god Go read Leviticus 14. You'll see it. It's in God's word. Don't go spreading this news and, and making yourself the object of popularity and, and the source of good news. Go to the priest and do what God told you to do. Obey the word of God. Don't go out there for likes and retweets and hits on your video. Go out there because go, go to the priest and obey God because that's what you're supposed to do. There's a lot of reasons why Jesus would tell him this. First of all, for him to refold himself back into society, he needed to be declared clean by the priests. To be truly free to go back to the temple and worship God, he needed to be declared clean by the priests. So he, he needed to go show himself to the priest. He also needed to go and give offerings. First, an offering for forgiveness, because he probably hasn't done that since he got leprosy. He couldn't. He couldn't go to the temple and offer a, a sacrifice for his guilt. He also needed to offer for thanks, for being healed. And like I said, then he would re-enter society, Jewish society, and he would re-enter temple worship. Jesus wanted this man to uphold the law, to honor God the Father, to testify to the priests about the power of God to heal him. That's what Jesus was after. Not his own glory. He didn't need this news spread. It would spread fast enough as it was. He wanted him to obey God's law. But he didn't. He disobeyed Jesus completely. That's why it's, you see the word verse 45, yet. He disobeyed. He disobeyed a direct command from Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, if Jesus was standing here and told me to do something, I'm going to go do it. I hope. I'm just like, this is crazy. But he disobeyed and he went around and he was telling this is the news he was telling he wasn't telling everybody 
the Messiah has come, your Savior is here. He was telling everybody, there's a guy that can heal you in this town. There's a guy walking around in Galilee that can heal you. He's just telling them that. He's missing the whole point of Jesus' coming. And this is the wrong perspective. Now, we look at it from our perspective. We go, well, of course it's good to tell them the good news, right? Tell the good news. Tell the good news. We have a song like that, right? Tell the good news. But from that perspective, before the new covenant, the old covenant was still in effect. Go to the priest, show yourself to be declared free. Now, this made it difficult for Jesus to enter towns in open public way. In other words, before he could get to towns, the crowds would be forming. And it would be just impossible for the town to support as many people that were coming to find Jesus. So Jesus was forced to stay in the countryside, which made things more difficult logistically. Okay? He was forced to stay out there to preach. It was not optimum. There was a lot more suffering. There was a lot more limitations. It made it difficult. But you know what? Jesus is he's quick on his feet, kind of. He adapted. We would not have, let me tell you, we would not have the 5,000 being fed or the 4,000 being fed probably if he wasn't forced to do this. Why did he, have, why did he feed the 5,000? Why did he feed the 4,000? Because they were so far from town that they couldn't get anywhere to get food. So Jesus used it. It wasn't, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy, but he used it because that's Jesus. But again, people were coming out there I mean, it didn't, it didn't hurt his popularity, it didn't look like, but people were coming out there for the same reason they've been coming other places. I want to get healed. I want to see somebody get healed. I want to see demons coming out of people. Not, I want my soul forgiven. And most likely, these same crowds will be the ones in Jerusalem crying, crucify him, crucify him. Most likely, that'll be them. I wouldn't say it's 100%, but... But Jesus wanted this healed leopard to obey God, which is what he wants us to do. Jesus wanted this guy to serve God and glorify the Father from a heart of submission. Like I said, he's testing this man's heart. Jesus is always seeking the heart of the individual, to change the heart, to change the soul. True salvation really starts only in your heart. It doesn't start in what you look like on the outside. It starts in here. I mean, one of the ways I could see salvation taking place in my children was that their hearts were more tender to their sin. Matter of fact, they would come and confess sins that I didn't know they had committed. You know, I hit my brother. I took this piece of, I took a cookie when I wasn't supposed to out of the cookie jar. They would get, they would be sensitive to that sin. That was a good sign, especially for some of my kids. It was a real good sign. But even when they got caught, they were, they were sincerely frustrated that they had been caught and done this thing wrong, but they weren't, they weren't upset because they were caught. They were upset because they had sinned. I mean, that's just one way I could tell that, that God had definitely changed their heart. Because Jesus heals the heart first. Isaiah 29, 13, Jesus, God talks about those who are, their hearts aren't changed. He says, the Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service. Yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. God's seen this over and over again. The children of Israel faking worship, pretending to worship, pretending to care. They really don't. Jesus touched this leper. He reached out with a real connection to a highly contagious 
disease because he loved this man. He did have compassion on him, I believe. Regardless of which manuscript you look at, he loved the man. The question for us is, are we reaching out to those who need that kind of touch, that need that kind of love? Are we setting conditions for how, how we're going to help people? Are we qualifying our, our aid? You know, Christians are supposed to be known as, as people who love people. We're supposed to be known for our love for humanity. We don't set qualifiers for reaching out to people. We may set boundaries on how much we help them materially. We set some, some assistance boundaries, but we still express to them the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. And here's what the love of Christ tells someone. You need a Savior. You're, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. And I needed a Savior. You need a Savior. That's what the love of Christ tells them. That we're sinful and that we're all standing before God damned if we don't trust Jesus. That's what real love does. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus tried that with this man. He tried to get that across to this man. But the man disregarded the blessings of the Messiah for popularity. Sure, he thought he was doing a good thing. How many times we think we're doing a good thing and it's really wrong. The wrong thing. I mean, his disobedience really led to more problems for Christ that Christ overcame, obviously. But, I mean, he would say, I did a good thing. I told everybody, right? Wrong. You know, there's going to be many on that day that will say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. In Matthew 7, he tells us that. Jesus came to change hearts not earthly conditions. That's why he came. His focus is on the regeneration of our soul, not our physical bodies. That comes at the end, the very end. He wants us to trust him completely for the forgiveness of our sin. And when the heart changes, all the other actions will fall into place, the proper place. We don't need to try to serve or act our way into heaven. We just need to trust Jesus. Come to Jesus first as your Savior for your soul, as the only way to be right with God. And then your deeds that you can do from that point on will be sanctified by the blood of Christ. The good deeds that you try to do, God will use them for his kingdom. Jesus came for the heart. You know, people will always be drawn to the, to the latest fix, the temporary solution. But God speaks to our, our eternity. God speaks to our eternity in all aspects, and he sent Jesus for that pur purpose, to change our hearts for eternity. Christ came to heal the soul with faith that finds forgiveness. You know, health is good. <laughs> I like being healthy. I know you do too. But salvation is better. You know, Martin Luther once wrote that Christianity consists of personal pronouns. It is one thing to say Christ alone is Savior, it's another thing altogether to say from the heart, Christ alone is my Savior. See, the demons will say the first one, Christ alone is Savior. The demons can say that. They believe in God and shudder even. Only a child of God can truthfully state the second, he is my Savior. Which crowd do you belong to? So, believers, this morning I would encourage you to stop worrying about your temporary stuff. Start, start storing up eternal treasures 
by prayer, and prayer is one of those, by telling others about Jesus. Those are ways we can store up treasures in heaven. Joining churches, becoming a functioning member of a body of Christ is a great way to store up treasure in heaven. If you want to talk to me about becoming a full partner in our, our, our church, come see me afterwards. Now, if you're here and you just believe Jesus was a great teacher, healer, um, I want to tell you he was different. And he is the only Savior you'll ever need. Just believe in him. Faith says in, its, in your heart with conviction, I trust you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of my sins. That's what you're trusting him for. You believe without any reservation. Don't hold anything back. Don't, don't qualify it or caveat it. And then you repent. You put everything behind you that's ever distracted you from trusting Jesus or that tries to distract you. That's called repentance. Turn away from it. Put it aside. Get rid of it. And trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Because he came to heal your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for healing our souls. For those of us who have trusted your son. And now may our well and healed and forgiven soul live differently. Express love, reach out and touch those who we may feel like or the world may say is untouchable. Help us to find those people, to risk loving them. Jesus, help us. We want to serve you better. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing our closing hymn. Jesus is all the world to me.